So, Eric, what are you going to do for fun this weekend? Uh, there's a, a little indie film coming out called The Last Jedi. I think I'm going to be checking that out. <laughs> so you know why I'm calling you, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am calling you to say thank you so much uh, for giving to your local NPR station uh, through the link for this show so you're able to support the entire public radio network. So my first question is, what station did you give to? Uh, WVXU in Cincinnati. Okay, so you live there? Yes. So tell me what you gave. Um, I've started listening to NPR Politics podcast a couple of years ago, you know, as we headed toward the, the election. And, you know, I'm listening to, to you, to, you know, Code Switch, Pop Culture Happy Hour, you know, all, all of these, these podcasts. And, you know... Uh, I'm getting this, the entertainment out of it, so I think it's like the least I could do. I mean, like I said, going to see the, the Last Jedi and paying how much for a movie ticket, I could, <laughs> I get how many more hours of entertainment and, and information during the week uh, from you guys. So I, I think it's the least we can do. Well, hey, I, I really, really appreciate it, and I know I've been saying it on the show for a few weeks now, but donors like you and listeners like you seriously like help us keep this stuff going so i want you right now to let other listeners know how they can give uh you can tell them the specialized link that we have that they can use to go donate today all right you can give at donate.npr.org slash sam awesome thank you so much um i hope you have a wonderful wonderful weekend enjoy that little indie film yeah thank you you too sam <laughs> appreciate it all right man bye Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, retail reporter for Bloomberg, Sarah Halzak, and senior editor for The Atlantic Magazine, Derek Thompson. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Each week, we start with a different song. We'll talk about this song in just a bit. But first, as Aunt Betty said, uh, here at NPR in D.C. with me is Sarah Halzak, my good friend who covers retail at Bloomberg. Hi. Hi, Sam. Yeah. And in New York, uh, Derek Thompson of The Atlantic, frequent voice that you hear on NPR's Here and Now. Hey, man. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Great to be here. Thank you both for doing this. I really appreciate it. This song. Every day. So the song is called Strange Things Happening Every Day. There are strange things happening every day. So hashtag 2017. Uh, <laughs> and I picked this song because it was kind of in the news this week. The singer of this song is Sister Rosetta Tharp. She's described as the godmother of rock and roll. Before you heard those dudes in the 50s and 60s doing it, she was fusing blues and jazz and gospel and all that stuff. And this week it was announced that she'll be honored by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame next year, receiving their award for early influence. Hmm. thought it was fitting to play this song, which is really cool. Yeah. And stranger things are happening, like, not every just every day, day, but like every five minutes. Basically, yeah. Indeed, she was both prescient in terms of musical genre and prescient in terms of the substantive content of the song. <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. So she definitely deserves this award. Yeah, so she's getting the award for early influence, but they also announced a list of 2018 inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They are Bon Jovi, Dire Straits, Nina Simone, The Cars, and Moody Blues. The Cars? Whoa, whoa! The Cars! <laughs> I like The Cars! Whoa. If I had to vote anybody off that island, it would be The Cars. Get out of my house. I, mean, uh, I remember listening to the Cars when I was younger. I, I, have to, I have to be honest. I don't think I've listened to a Cars song in the last like ten years of my life, and they've been like fine ten years. I haven't been worse for it. That said, 
Um, I remember really liking the cards when I was in like high school. And like I, I remember, you know, a, a joyful discovering of them. So joyful um, discovering, I like that. I, I'm going to, I'm going to defend them, even Thank though I you. haven't listened to them since like you know the late Clinton administration or something. <laughs> well, fun fact, I'm going to bring back a little bit of the cars towards the end of the show. Oh, okay. I like them so so much. maybe you'll change my mind. I'm sure that I will. <laughs> but for now, we're here to discuss what happened this week. Alabama, the GOP tax plan, looking close but also still kind of shaky. And also a conversation about just why the economy and the stock market and consumer confidence all seem to be doing pretty well. So first, let's start the show as we always do. We're each going to describe how this week of news felt in only three words. I'm sure you both are up to the challenge. Derek, you're first. My three words are big get bigger. The okay. big news that I have been following for the last few days, and really I guess the last few weeks since rumors of it broke, uh, is Disney's acquisition of 21st Century Fox, or of most of the assets of 21st Century Fox. Um, it's really kind of difficult to understate just how huge a deal this is if you care at all about show business, content, entertainment, or yeah. uh, companies. And it was also difficult to understand for me. Like As I read about it, I was like, there's a lot of layers here. There are a lot of layers here. So the, the way that I'm thinking of it basically is that Disney's trying to build a Death Star. Um, Netflix okay. is the Rebels. Uh, the first episode of The Streaming Wars is over. The Rebels <laughs> won, and the Empire is striking back. Someone thought about this. Yes. This Death <laughs> Star. It. And it, uh, you know, Disney already has uh, Pixar and Marvel and Star Wars, hint, hint, uh, and all those animated films. And with this purchase, they're getting 20th Century Fox Film Studio. Mm. They're getting Fox Searchlight behind the Best Picture Oscar yeah. winner, Slumdog Millionaire, 12 Years a Slave, Birdman. They're getting the X-Men franchise to complement huh. their Marvel franchise. They're getting Fox's television production company, which didn't just make The Simpsons, but also made films, uh, shows like Modern Family oh. and Homeland, which are on oh. other channels. They're getting FX. They're getting National Geographic. They're getting the Yes Network. If you like the Yankees, you now are watching the Yankees on TV through Disney if this deal goes huh. through. I mean, it, it is everything. But they didn't get Fox News, right? They did not. No, okay. Murdoch essentially, uh, he is reverting back uh, to his earliest incarnation as a media mogul. Uh, hmm. He has owned billions. I think his empire has reached $100 billion in terms of valuation. But he's basically selling everything except for Fox Broadcast Network, uh, Fox News, and a smattering of national sports networks. So basically, he's going right back to where he started, which is as a news guy. If, if, huge if, capital I, capital F, uh, underscore, bold, italics, um, the Justice Department lets this deal go through. Well, because I'm hearing now that we're going to end up basically with a Disney Netflix, like a Disney streaming service. Is that in the cards with this merger? 100%. Yeah, Disneyflix. This is all about Netflix. I mean, this is all about building a Netflix. And huh. by, by buying 21st Century Fox, they also get majority ownership of Hulu. So in many ways, they might just try to turn Hulu into Disneyflix. Um, you know, Amazon has also made a huge uh, big leap into streaming TV because they spent $250 million merely for the rights to Lord of the Rings. Th that's before production costs. The so, wait, are they going to be... Is there new Lord of the Rings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've had yeah. enough of those. <laughs> uh, you think you've had enough of them, but the th Amazon <laughs> bets you haven't had enough. Of if we've learned one thing, I think, from entertainment, it's that if you think you've had enough of it, that means you can probably use about five more movies of it. Is it going to uh, be like new series online or movies TV. or what? Oh yeah, it'll be a TV series. It'll be Game of Thrones. Yeah, uh, but we already in, know how this you know, ends. They get the ring back. It's fine. 
<laughs> no, but this 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 is this is including uh, this is including uh, some of the offshoot stories, some of the Salmarian stories. Um, it it uh, you know here here's my feeling about it. On the one hand, you could say, well, I already saw this; I don't need to see it again. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we're at Fast and the Furious uh, seventy seven, so um, clearly and they were all good, and, and, and well, Sam and was there. They're for all, all extremely yes. profitable. <laughs> um, you know, there is no uh, questioning taste, um, but uh, there's definitely no questioning um, profit. And Fast yeah, and the Furious yeah. and the sequelization of movies is pretty. Yeah. Successful. So, talking about these mergers and how we watch TV and streaming, the big cloud hanging over all of this is the future of net neutrality. Uh, this week, the FCC stripped back some Obama era rules that uh, many said preserved that concept. So, Derek, could this rule change change everything about how we consume media, like streaming services? I want to be really humble about net neutrality. Okay. I used to not understand it at all. Okay. Now I feel like I understand what it is, okay. but I have no idea what's going to happen in the next, say, five, ten years with this new net neutrality rule. On the one hand, could I imagine that the new net neutrality rule could yield a future where people have to pay extra for Netflix and YouTube, like the same way you have to pay extra for HBO and Showtime on a cable bundle. Yes, I could imagine that. Could I also imagine a future in five years where consumers are so obsessed with the issue of cable companies violating their uh, relatively recent yet arguably historical right to have everything priced as one thing. Um, And therefore, in five years, nobody notices really anything different uh, from uh, their their cable and internet bills, except that they've just been getting a little bit more expensive. And frankly, that's what's been going on anyway. Yes, I can imagine that too. And part of why we don't know is because as easily as this FCC could roll back the rules, the next administration could put in some new rules. Right. Or Congress could decide to act on this. And so it really is very uncertain. And I think, you know, the point that Derek raises about bundling is an interesting one, you know, independent of the net neutrality question. I think for so long, consumers have had this idea that they feel ripped off by their cable bill. Gee whiz, why am I paying for this package of 200 channels and I watch 10 of them and this is not a good setup for me. And I think what we're now seeing is the flip side of that, Hmm. which is when we live in this world of fragmented media consumption where you have a Hulu subscription, a Netflix subscription, a Spotify, a Pandora, an HBO Go. The list goes on and on that actually you might not be saving that much more money. Oh, I'm not. I know I'm not. (laughs) I'm paying for all the things and it's just too much. Uh, We should add also that NPR has an official stance on these rules around net neutrality. Uh, Our legal counsel has filed comments with the FCC on behalf of the public radio system opposing the repeal of the current rules. Just got to put that out there. Sarah, you have three words. I do. My three words are drip, drip, drip. And that is referring to uh, the growing stream of accusations of sexual misconduct against a variety of high-profile people. Uh, And the list just kept growing this week. I'm going to tick down a few of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, One, Russell Simmons, the hip-hop mogul. Uh, Mario Batali, the famed New York restaurateur. Ryan Lizza, the prominent writer for The New Yorker. Uh, Tavis Smiley. Uh, PBS has suspended distribution of his show amid sexual misconduct allegations. And lastly, in the sort of strangest twist on this genre, Morgan Spurlock, the documentarian uh, who you probably best know from the Super Size Me documentary where he ate at McDonald's for a long time. uh, He just self-published an essay basically saying, I'm part of this problem. I have a track record of mistreating women, including settling a sexual harassment lawsuit with a former employee. Can I say that just felt weird? 
I don't know how to feel about it, Mm -hmm. you know? But I think the way I feel at this moment, I know these have been coming out for several months now, but I sort of feel like sexual misconduct is like a big canvas, like a big painting with Hmm. a curtain in front of it. And I feel like we're slowly pulling it back, Um. slowly pulling it back, but we still don't see the full picture yet. And, And I think... Every time I read one of these stories, I still react with shock and horror. Mm-hmm. In a way, I don't know why I'm reacting with hmm. shock because there's been so many at this point. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, when is the conversation going to start to pivot to or grow to include solutions more? Yes. I feel like right now we're still just, you know, clutching our pearls and yeah. being like, oh, my gosh, this is this is so widespread and it's so prolific. And when are we going to start figuring out how to fix it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's really amazing. I mean, it's it's gone to the point where you know I I, I live on Twitter and um, when a uh, you know famous person's name uh, is in that trending box, historically I've just assumed sadly that they're dead. Um, and now the sexual harassment um, possibility has replaced um, sort of the death assumption that you see a celebrity uh, or you hear like when someone comes to you in the office, did you hear about X famous man? You, you, you know exactly what they're talking about. And we also know that like a lot of these allegations that come forward are involving men and women of a certain level of privilege. But the realities of sexual assault and harassment is that lower income women and those of less privilege experience it more. Bingo. And we yep, just need exactly. to hear more of those stories, too. Yeah, and I think we're starting to. I mean, the Washington Post had a investigation about restaurant workers and mm-hmm. what they experience. Mm-hmm. Bloomberg News this week published a piece about hotel workers, the yeah. folks who uh, clean rooms and the, the experiences they've had on this front. So I think it's starting. But again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about this painting behind the curtain. It's like we, we, we still haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, yeah. I have three words, guys. Hit us. Mm. They are tell it all. And I'm talking about the vote this week in the special election for a senator in Alabama. We know that Doug Jones, the Democrat, won. He beat Roy Moore, the cowboy hat, leather vest wearing uh, maverick. who Horse riding. Uh, horse riding. <laughs> who faced uh, several allegations of sexual impropriety with uh young girls in their teens uh, while he was in his 30s. He lost. It was about, gosh, a point or two of difference. But in hindsight, a lot of the narrative in mainstream press was wrong. And so I say tell it all because I want us to do a better job in the future with things like this of trying to tell it all. And I think particularly coverage of black voters in Alabama this week and the last few months, honestly, was lacking. Mm-hmm. I think all up until election day, there was this, there was this thinking that black voters there were not motivated. They weren't going to turn out. They didn't care about Doug Jones. Doug Jones didn't care about them. And then we see the results uh, the night of the election and the next day. Uh, black turnout was just as high or higher even a little bit than it was for Obama the last go around. Uh, 98% of black women voted for Jones, the, the Dem candidate. 93% of black men and they really won him the election and the will they vote narrative was wrong because I think that we weren't looking in the right places underneath everyone's eyes groups like the NAACP and other groups were doing really really focused vote efforts with black voters that worked also in May of 2017 there was a rollback and a change in what's called uh, the moral turpitude clause of the state constitution Mm -hmm. that basically allowed county officials to kind of determine on their own what types of felonies 
could keep you from voting. And the law was so crazy and ambiguous that even NPR reported previously uh, former felons in Alabama's counties might get a different answer on if they could vote or not based on what county they were in. But this May, the state kind of clarified that a bit. And the thinking was that thousands of more black voters were able to vote because of that. And groups focused on these voters knew that and got them out. And I wonder uh, if the polls play a role in this. So I think we had a situation with the the more Jones race where we didn't have a lot of good polling yeah. for a couple of reasons. One, there just weren't that many polls. Mm-hmm. But two, it's very hard to know what the likely voter pool is going to be yeah. in a special election, you know, when exactly. it's not midterm or not presidential. But so it seemed like... Uh, perhaps looking at these numbers was not really telling us oh, what, yeah. what was going on. Yeah. And I think that relates to what you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. And there were so many stories of people in Alabama just not wanting to talk to pollsters mm. or not wanting to admit who they were going to vote for. You know, so th- th- there is this desire, I think, that we, we want to know what's going to happen before it happens. Maybe the best thing to do is just sit back and wait, <laughs> cover all the bases and wait and see what happens. But even now, you know, there is this narrative on the left kind of praising black women for, quote unquote, saving Alabama, saving America in this vote. I would urge anyone doing that to, you know, not quickly box black women in. You know, maybe they weren't trying to save you. Maybe they just were voting how they wanted to vote. And we should, you know, not idolize any one group of voters, but just try to cover them accurately and holistically. It's time for a break. Coming up, we're going to celebrate the end of the semester for students of all ages. And later, the best things that happen to our listeners all week. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Life is Good. Spread the power of optimism to those you love this holiday season by gifting fun and inspiring Life is Good apparel. Through beautiful art and positive messages, their products remind us all to focus on and grow the good. Life is Good donates 10% of its annual net profits to help kids in need. Visit lifeisgood.com and use code NPR to get an extra 10% off holiday deals now through December 18th. All right, we are back. Guys, quick yes or no answer. It was announced this week that Ocean's 8 is coming out soon. Are you here for that? Yes or no? Cautiously, yes. Ocean's 8? Yes. Why Why are they losing Oceans? I think it's based on the number <laughs> of people in the, the cast. Other, <laughs> right, where, they're, where they're losing that. I mean, typically the numbers go up as you have more sequels. You know, Fast and the Furious, you know, it's, 2, it, 3, no, 4, see, 9. This is based Oceans, on, the, on the number of people in the cast. So Ocean's Eleven had eleven main characters. Can 12 you tell had 12. me who the stars of Ocean's Eleven? So let me be. tell you. I want to know who they lost. It's gonna have an this all, will shape my cautious. This will yes. shape your cautious. It's an all-female cast. Ooh. I'm gonna read the eight for you: Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Anne Hathaway, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Paulson, a rapper named Aquafina, Helena Bonham Carter, and drumroll, Rihanna. I'm there for it. <laughs> okay. Helena Bonham Carter and Rihanna. <laughs> yeah. I want to be on that set. Okay, so yes. <laughs> yes. They're both a yes. I'm a yes, but here's the thing. I saw Rihanna in Battleship. Wait, that was a thing that happened? Yeah, Riri. Oh, no. I love you, but uh, take some classes no. before no, you I, do Battleship didn't happen. <laughs> no, I, 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 actually, I actually feel very strongly about this. I mean, I think one constructs their own reality. Okay. And I choose to construct my own reality in which that movie wow. did not happen. Wow, okay. And All right. Rihanna did not right. appear in it. <laughs> All right, so guys. I'm muting the rest of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance. We call up a listener somewhere in the world and talk to them about their week. Today we have a listener from New York City. Her name is Maria. You there, Maria? 
Yes, hi, Sam. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good, cold. Yeah, it's cold. <laughs> You're on the phone with two of my friends, Sarah and Derek. So how cold is it today up there? Um, it's in like the 30s, but okay. I'm from Texas, so it's basically like negative 20. <laughs> oh my goodness, where in Texas? Um, Laredo. It's like on the border. Yeah, I know. Pretty close to where you're from. San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. So we're fellow Texans. Love that. We're calling you up because you, like a lot of students, are finishing up school for the semester. You're finishing finals next week, but this is like your Mm -hmm. first semester at Columbia in New York, leaving Texas, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So what are you studying? Um, environmental engineering. That sounds hard. (laughs) Yeah, like taking calculus, physics chemistry it seemed like pretty insurmountable like when i first got here really but now like a semester and it's definitely like a lot more doable and it kind of like creates like this tenacity that it's like you have to get it done because it's not like i can go back home or you know like I mean, you could but don't stay there <laughs> finish <laughs> yeah that's what my mom said my mom was like just come back change really your i was like no <laughs> yeah so what was the most surprising thing about being at a place like Columbia, being in New York? Like, what threw you the most for a loop? Um, I think um, I didn't th- – New York is actually not as unfriendly as I thought it would be. Okay. I actually think – which is might be, like, a really hot take to make. But um, <laughs> I think um, on the subway – because I'm Hispanic. So when I hear someone, like, speaking Spanish on the subway, like, it's really easy to just, like, turn around and, like, say hola and, like, greet them. Nice. And there's, like, an instant, like, connection. Also with, like, um, like facilities workers or maintenance workers, like, um, staff that's Hispanic here, too. It's, like, so they're so friendly. It's so easy nice. to just, like, strike up a conversation with them. And, like, people are way more accessible than I thought they'd be. How do people who maybe don't know too many Texans treat you? You know, New Yorkers mm-hmm. who are native there or folks from the East Coast and up north? Oh, so... That's actually something that um, that's also kind of been tough to grapple with here, something that I wasn't expecting. There's kind of like, people have told me, like, I'm sorry that you had to grow up there. Like, Wait, they apologize like, that you're from Texas? Yeah. Oh, you, my. Well, and do you, do you get the vibe that it's cultural or political? Is this a red state, blue state? Like, oh, you're from Texas. Or is this that they think you're really culturally different? Um, so I think it's concurrently both. Huh. So you hear the, oh, like guns, horses, um, you know, like everyone is so racist there. But they're telling that to me who's Hispanic. And I'm like, Texas is also like very Hispanic, very African-American. And that's kind of like when you see like, it's kind of hard to see like what Texas is like seen as because it's seen as like a very like white cowboy state when it's like, it's actually so multicultural. So it's kind of sad like people not to recognize like how like multidimensional it is. I always tell people Texas is a home of not just George W. Bush, but also Beyonce. Exactly. Right. No, no, no better (laughs) counterparts than that, I think. I mean, so I must ask, as a Texan, one of the things that I missed most once I left was not being able to find good breakfast tacos. Like, what do you miss the most from home? (laughs) Yeah, you're saying this to someone that grew up on the border. I (laughs) definitely agree. Um, uh, I definitely miss. I also miss good steak and barbecue. Yeah. Um, I'm pr- like every Sunday, my parents would just have like a huge barbecue cookout, and like we'd watch football. Probably the most Texan thing. So I miss just like eating like a 12 ounce steak. Like, <laughs> Who's your team? Sunday, um, the Cowboys. The Cowboys. Good How answer. do you feel about their season? 
I know. <laughs> We're taking a lot of L's, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm a Spurs fan, though, and so that's, that's always snaps, very promising. Snaps for that. But, you know, Maria, on a more serious note, you told us at one point before this call that before you got to New York and Columbia, you were very worried about fitting in there as a Latina, as a Texan. But I do want to say, like, whatever you feel up there, you belong there. Like, that's the Thank MO. You so much. Yeah, like, you belong there. And just walk into every room and subway car and park with the confidence of someone who belongs in that space, because you do. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, of course. So what are your fun plans for the weekend? Uh, well, <laughs> it's finals week, so I'm probably not going to... Um, I might go ice skating just to have, like, a small study break. Yeah. That'll be fun. It'll be my first time, so that'll be good. Um, but yeah, just I'm so excited to go home to Texas. So I think just like studying really hard to be ready to go back home. Definitely. Well, hey, best of luck yeah. with the finals. Hope Thank Texas you so much. is good. Get some holiday tamales while you're down there. Oh, yes. A lot of dozens. <laughs> All right. Well, happy holidays, Maria. Thank you so much. And congrats on your first semester. Hey, thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. All right, listeners, want to talk to you for this segment. If you want us to give you a call and hear about anything going on in your neck of the woods, uh, just shoot me a note. Tell me what's happening, and we might call you up. I'm at samsanders at npr.org. All right, guys, I brought you both here because y'all both know the economy very, very well. And I wanted to, as the year comes to a close, talk about the economy. So our main story this week is the economy and the way that we measure the economy, things like the stock market, consumer confidence numbers. There is story after story about how a lot of these metrics are really, really good right now. But my big question for you guys is, is it really good for everyone and how good is it? You know, President Trump tweeted on Thursday that the stock market hit another record high. How do we know how good the economy really is? Because at the same time, those numbers look good. We uh, see uncertainty in our politics. We see a president with really low approval numbers. Why is the economy looking this good? And is it this good? That's the first big question for both of you guys. Well, look, the easiest answer is that the economy looks pretty good because the economy is pretty good. Okay. Uh, we've been in a really, really long recovery. Uh, unemployment now is incredibly low. 4.1%. Yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna keep falling. I think uh, we've been creating about 180, 200 thousand jobs every single month, literally for like the last seven years straight. Wage growth has been pretty good, and look, the stock market, which is not the perfect measure of Main Street, has just been going gangbusters because corporate profits are at a near all time high. Um, and basically, you know, the big question that I think you're asking is the way that I would that I I think about it is. Does A1 chaos affect the business cycle? Like, is there a tether? Is there a rope connecting A1 to B1, news stories to business stories? And the answer really for 2017 has been no. Sarah, you cover retail. And one of the big through lines of the election last year was that consumers and shoppers were just nervous about the state of the economy. But all of this year feels like they're really spending money What's up with that? <laughs> yeah. So I think a lot of consumer behavior comes down to some of these more kitchen table pocketbook issues. So mm-hmm. you look at something like gas prices. Gas prices are they're low right now. They're they're higher than where they were in 2016, but they're quite a bit lower than yeah. say 2012. Food prices have been in a long deflationary cycle. Again, they're they're starting to tick back up now. 
now. But those things have been really low. So if you're someone who lives paycheck to paycheck or you're on a budget, those factors matter. And that means at the end of the month, maybe you feel a little more flush that you're going to go out and buy a Barbie for your kid, take the family to Olive Garden. What's happening in your own bank account and in the four walls of your home really matters in terms of how you're spending as a consumer. So then if Trump's behavior is not the best way to predict the success or failure of some of these metrics, what is the reason? What is the big underlying reason that we've seen such sustained growth continually? Was it one policy, one something? Do we know? It's, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, the, the way that I would, the way that I think about the question is essentially, why has the recovery been so slow and steady? And the answer really is that, you know, we've grown in a really steady way that hasn't relied on any particular bubble. Um, You know, in the 2000s, under George W. Bush, we did have a recovery after 2001, but it relied on a housing bubble. It relied on something that was unsustainable. And the popping of that bubble gave us the Great Recession. But in the last few years, it's just not obvious that there's any bubble. We've just grown really slow and steady. And for a while, it was incredibly frustrating because like in 2010, all the economists um, and all the economic writers were like, why isn't this happening faster? Why aren't we growing faster? Why aren't we snapping back to reality? But instead of snapping back to reality, we just sort of like slowly walked our way back to a normally healthy economy. And that's basically Mm. what we're in now. So in many ways, Trump is essentially taking credit in 2017 for a phenomenon that is a 2009 to 2017 thing. But savings, that's down. Wages seem stagnant. Like, why aren't some of the behaviors from consumers in line with the growth of the economy? It's a really complicated tangle. So like the wage growth question ties into this sort of nerdy productivity growth question. Okay. And so what we've seen is that typically in happy economic times, uh, worker productivity would be increasing, right? So your output per hour yes. would be growing. Well, productivity growth has been really, really slow. Hmm. And so that kind of it ties into what we're seeing with the wage question. And so I think unpacking sort of how we're not seeing this recovery treat everyone evenly, how it's it's not been as good to everybody as it's been to others. uh, It's this really uh, complicated puzzle of questions. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's a really important point, which is to think about averages and uh, distribution. So averages are like GDP, right? That's saying how the entire country is growing or averages are like the stock market, literally the, the Dow Jones industrial average. That's how uh, you know a basket of companies is doing on average. But what's it's really important, especially now and especially in the last 30 years, to think about distribution because you can have GDP growth be really, really strong. But the fruits of domestic production are being unevenly shared so that, for example, the top 1% is doing much, much better um, than the rest of the country. Or say the top 20% is doing much better than the quote-unquote bottom 80%. And that's definitely something that we saw for the most part during the recovery. A really interesting phenomenon in the last about 18 months is that wage growth has actually been fastest at the bottom. That's for two reasons. Number one, you've had minimum wage increases uh, in several states. And then number two, uh, wages tend to grow at the bottom when you have a tighter labor market. And you have a tighter Mm -hmm. labor market when you have unemployment under 5%, Mm -hmm. which we have now. Um, But I don't think it takes away from the fact that even as I've been really down on the economy for a long, long time after the Great Recession, we've never really had, frankly, an economy this century. And it's only 17, almost 18 years old. But we've never had an economy that had this many things going right at the same time from wages to growth to stock markets to corporations. The thing is, usually... Things don't go right forever. So at some point, this changes. And my question for both of you is, um, we are 
pretty close, it seems, to seeing a GOP-controlled Congress pass a tax overhaul. Is some of the, at least stock market's excitement right now holding out hope for that tax bill? Even if this were a Democratic Congress trying to pass an extension of universal health care, like a completely opposite bill that was redistributing um, from top to bottom, I honestly think the stock market would be doing basically the exact same thing. I mean, it's basically increasing in the exact at the exact same rate that it was in the last few years because corporate profits have been so good. And corporate profits have been particularly good this year because finally Europe got its act together. It's growing. China is growing pretty healthily. Global trade, ironically, people thought that Trump was going to come into office and you know start doing a bunch of trade wars. In fact, global trade um, grew at its fastest pace in 2017, in the first half of 2017, fastest pace in the last five years. Um, led by Asia and North America, precisely the markets uh, considered under threat by Trump's campaign rhetoric. So there are so many good stories for large companies um, that have nothing to do mm. with their corporate tax rate mm-hmm. that honestly, I think it's it's a secondary or tertiary issue right now. Gotcha. Yeah. And if you think about it, companies right now are sitting on about $2.3 trillion mm-hmm. in cash already. Are you serious? I am serious. They they have so much money already yeah. uh, and that they're just sitting on. And so the idea that they're just sitting around. Waiting you know, for that tax bill. Yeah, <laughs> waiting for that tax bill to unleash this moment where they can finally invest in their business is a little silly. Huh. They have yeah. a lot of cash. Yeah. Um, and probably, you know, anything that would happen from the tax reform bill would be dividends. Huh. That's uh, right. Buybacks. It wouldn't actually be investing in the business. What economic storylines will you both be following next year? Sarah, you first. Well, being a retail writer, <laughs> I certainly will be following uh, where consumers are spending their money. And I, I think it's telling that uh, Walmart, it, its stock recently hit a record high. It recently huh. just had its best quarter since 2008. Huh. Dollar General has been on a tear. It's supposed to open a 1,000 stores this year. Right. Um, it, it does suggest that there still are some folks out there who are really value-oriented. Some of this is just, look, Walmart and Dollar General are both very well-run businesses right now. Yeah. So those are, I'm always looking at those as kind of barometers for where the consumer's heads at. Yeah. You also had a great story at the end of this year all about how we've kind of reached peak online subscription shopping. Oh my goodness. There's just too many. This is like the boxes of the clothes every month or the box of bacon every month or whatever. The box of pet food, the box of dirt. I literally found one that is dirt of the month. It's like you pan for gold or something with your monthly dirt. What what kind of dirt would be a dirt of the month? Only the best dirt. Like Brazilian dirt? So it appears to be associated with a show on Discovery about like gold miners and it comes from their Alaska gold mine or something where the show is about I don't know. Is is the company called Dirt Bags? Because that's what I would call my company. This guy. And I would definitely I would definitely put it in really beautiful bags. Well now we know it's a good dirt for Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) Literally a bag of dirt. Please make it Brazilian dirt. Um, (laughs) yeah, I I don't want any of this cheap, you know, Panamanian Uh dirt. So Derek, what's your story to follow for twenty eighteen? You know, I think the the important story sort of from a macro level in the U.S. economy is distribution right now. Um, you know, who's winning, who's losing when it comes to distribution. Um, the long, long story of recent American history has been the rich are getting more and the poor are getting less. That has slightly changed in terms of market income over the last 18 months because wages have grown at the bottom. But then you have this corporate tax cut that's coming through and everybody, most uh, specifically the Tax Policy Center, whose numbers I trust a lot, have essentially said that half of the benefits Benefits are going to end up going to the top 5% uh, uh, over the next 10 years. Um, yeah. So I think that this is an economic question, but it's also a political question. Who deserves the fruits um, of domestic production? Mm. Um, and just because it's easy for
for the rich to benefit? Does that mean that they should? Time for one more break. We'll be right back with my favorite game. It's called Who Said That? Support for this podcast and the following message come from St. Louis Public Radio and PRX, presenting the podcast We Live Here, real talk about race and class that doesn't feel like homework. You'll hear investigations and stories of ordinary people. You can start by checking out an episode that has two best friends, one who is white and one who is not, getting quizzed about what it means to be an ally. Listen to We Live Here, where you get your podcasts. We're back. Time for a game that we call Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? It's a very simple game. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that. We'll do three or four of these today. And the winner gets, as you might know, absolutely nothing. Pride. Bag of dirt? No. Oh, yeah. Bag of dirt. I love this joke. Yes, I'm going to make this joke of, for as long yes, as I possibly can. One of us can. will buy the other a bag of dirt at the end of this. So Wait, but here's the thing with dirt. You don't have to buy it, Sarah. <laughs> You can just go outside and get some dirt. I don't have to get it through the subscription. (laughs) All right, here's the first quote, okay? When I can tell my story, it is a profound story that I know the world will want to hear. Who said that? I know this. Omarosa? Yeah! It is. As we all know, uh, Omarosa Manigault Newman, former Apprentice star and now former White House aide, uh, was fired this week. She says she left on her own volition. Other folks say she was fired, but she had this interview the next day on Good Morning America. So Omarosa said that she was very lonely at the White House, that there was a lack of diversity there. Um, but I think the best quote to come out of all this this week, Robin Roberts, who also hosts Good Morning America, after the interview aired, she said this. Yeah, so she <laughs> said she has a story to tell, and I'm sure she'll be selling that story. We'll see. Well, yeah, she will. I'm fully sure. Now to a new bye study Felicia. about how family... Robert says, bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> so, anyway. Also, just, if you had ever told me that Omarosa was going to outlast Steve Bannon at the White House. <laughs> 2017. Mm-hmm. Strange things Strange. are happening every day. <laughs> yeah. Next quote. You ready? The actors were very sophisticated in their online security. I've run against some really hard guys, and these guys were as good or better than some of the Eastern Europe teams I've gone against. Who said that? It's a tech story. It was a follow-up on a big tech story from last year. I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed as well. The uh, actors? At first I was like in Hollywood, but then Yeah, I know. I was. Like I a, started thinking like James Franco, a, disaster James artist? <laughs> I don't know. Like, what? I'm going to just tell you guys. Okay. okay. So this week, a uh, case involving three young men who shut down large swaths of the internet last oh, year came yes. to a close. Remember last year when like mm-hmm. country to country, continent to continent, yes. internet was just dropping? Yes. And everyone was like, what is this? Turns out it was these three young guys, three college-age Hackers who were just trying to profit on the online game Minecraft. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that quote you heard from uh, came from FBI Special Agent Elliot Peterson talking about those three guys. And it turns out their denial of service attack that affected the entire world in the fall of last year was just meant so they could game the online game Minecraft and get some more money from playing it. Wow, war games. Well, I guess I'm secretly relieved no one was trying to take my social security number. But (laughs) yeah, I love how like the rule of the last like 12 months has been like the answer to every mystery is always the stupidest possible answer. Yeah, you know, like you want to you want to say like oh my god, like someone took down worldwide access to the internet. Clearly, it was some nefarious state actor. It's like no, it was Minecraft. Three dudes who were like (laughs) stuck on a level of Minecraft, and they were like, fine, DDS attacks everywhere. Let's bring it all down. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Next quote: We've had the mini, the giant. 
ready sliced. And now we're launching the holy grail, Stoneless. Mm. I don't need a who just to what it's talking about would even be enough. Domino's? Yeah. It's a food. Um, Millennials love this food. Avocado person? Yeah. yeah. It's avocados. Uh, so this was Charlotte Curtis. She's a food tech specialist at a store chain called Marks & Spencer, which is a British company. This week they unveiled a pitless, or as the Brits call it, a stoneless avocado with edible skin. Ugh. It looks so weird. Oh. Yeah. Have you seen the, the, the I photos where they I, cut I, it open? I, I can't do it. Well, one, yeah, you cut it so open. Weird. There's no pit. And two, they say that you can eat the shell. No, you can't. No, you can't. Yeah, don't tell people that. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah, it's and like saying you can eat the banana peel. It's like you, you can technically do yeah, that, but, but like, do why? not. But yeah. my biggest question with all of this is will these new uh, skinnier stoneless avocados make it easier or harder for young folks to buy a house? <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. Now, is this purely like aesthetic or does this like taste better in any way? It's part of a larger trend of just trying to make more avocados because they're really in high demand right now. Yeah, yeah. So folks are trying to breed all new types to, that they can grow. Um, also, also, it's just laziness, right? It's just people <laughs> who are like, oh, the avocado is such a difficult fruit because you have to like scoop out that enormous pit. And it's like, <laughs> and you could geez, cut your just finger scoop out the pit. Um, Derek got avocado first. You got Omarosa first. Neither of you really got the second one. Mm. So it's a tie. I'm going to go ahead and all. say Minecraft wins. Minecraft wins, <laughs> and everybody gets dirt. Yeah, basically. <laughs> okay, Sarah, Derek, almost out of here. But first, I want to plug our podcast feed from this past Tuesday. I talked to someone who I'm sure both of you, Derek and Sarah, have watched on the internet before. His name is Matt Bellasai. He is a viral internet celebrity, and he came to fame because years ago at BuzzFeed, he was that guy doing those videos where he would complain while drinking wine. Remember that oh. web series, Wine About It? Wine About It, yes, yes. of course. So Matt, classic. Matt, yes, he, his career took off. He has a really funny new book out. And I'm going to play a clip of him right now. He's talking about coming out when he was in college. Uh, and he writes about that story in the book. I never felt like I was coming out to like a hostile environment. I, w- I was more afraid of just the change that I perceived mm. would happen in me, I guess, that, that huh. people that I would be this just like flamboyant gay person all of a sudden and that people would see me this way and that that's all that they would talk about and that that would become the kind of defining part of my personality. And to an extent, that's kind of what happened. I definitely felt like I became gayer. (laughs) But now I'm like, I love it. I, I don't care that that's a defining part of my personality. I embrace that. It was fun. It was nice. Check it out. With that, it's time to end the weekly wrap as we always do. Each week, I ask our listeners to send us a recording of them sharing the best thing that happened to them all week. I encourage them to brag. They always do. Let's play it now. Hey, Sam. My name is Gretchen. I am very proud of myself this morning. Um, I got up at 1230 this morning. Huh? Uh, had a quick breakfast and a couple shots of espresso. Then I vacuumed, then <laughs> I finished my Christmas cards, packed up a gift box, and took a quick shower and then shoveled. Okay. Uh, and now it's time for me to go to work, and um, that is how we chicks do it. Merry 
Christmas. Moving down our to-do list. <laughs> yes. I'm Daniela from Houston, Texas, and the best thing that happened to me this week was I passed my math final. Congrats. I was so nervous I wouldn't, and I did. I just finished my last final before winter break. I finished my first semester of graduate school. I have just completed successfully my first semester of medical school, and it is such a relief. Hi, Sam. This is Jen from Ypsilanti, Michigan. The best thing that happened to me this week should be starting my new job today, but it was actually the Big Lebowski theme brunch I went to on Sunday with my husband. <laughs> my three words for you, white Russian waffles. I'm here for so it. So good. Yeah. The dude definitely abides. <laughs> hey, Sam, this is Ryan. And the best thing that happened to me this week was I made a ton of ice cream Ooh. because this week my wife and I are actually launching our ice cream business. Wow. So yeah, if you're ever in Vacaville, California, I know Vacaville. Sam, scoops on me. All right, I got you. Okay. Hey, Sam, this is Larry from Long Beach, California. Hi, Larry. Our fabulous granddaughter, Emma, called us this week to tell us that she had been accepted into the Stanford University class of 2022. Congratulations. When we heard the news, my wife and I whooped it up, shed a few tears Aww. of joy because there is nothing better than getting great news from your grandkids. I bet. Hey, Sam, this is Cindy from Houston. Hi, Cindy. I just actually moved to Houston from Tampa, Florida, and the best thing that happened to me all week was that we got snow, and mm -hmm. I got my daughter out of bed. She's 11, and she's never seen snow before, and it was like 10 o'clock at night. She really should have been asleep, but I took her outside, and she danced around the snow <laughs> probably about 20 minutes, and it was amazing. It's awesome. Thanks. Have a good day. Hi, Sam. This is Suresh. And this is Anita. The best thing that happened this week 25 years ago was our precious daughter was born on December 15th. Uh -huh. Along with Astro, our golden doodle, we'd like <laughs> to lovingly wish her a very happy 25th birthday to your own Anjali Sastri. <sighs> happy birthday, Anjali. Anjali. We love, love you. you. Anjali's our oh, producer. Oh, my goodness. Have a good week, y'all. Hey, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. That's awesome. And yes, so a special birthday shout out to our star producer, Anjali Sastry. She's off today, listeners. She's taking the day just for her birthday. But um, we really appreciate all that she does for us, and I hope she has a great day. Uh, thanks to all the other voices you heard there. Gretchen, Daniela, Ingrid, Dylan, John, Jennifer, Ryan, Larry, Cindy, Sarish, and Anita. We listen to all these that come in. Keep sending them. We can't play them all. I wish we could, but we listen to them all. I promise. Uh, and anyone out there, if you want to share your best thing all week, you can do so at any time throughout the week. Just record the sound of your voice. Send that file to me. I'm at samsanders at npr.org. All right. We made it. All right. We're going to close with another inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, The Cars. This song is called Just What I Needed because right. I hope this show today was just what you needed, dear listeners. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry with um, editing help from Steve Nelson, our director of programming, and Jeff Rogers. And our big boss is NPR's VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Sarah, Derek... Thank you, guys. I know you both like the cars. You love the cars. I love the cars. It's growing on me. <laughs> also, a special thank you to all those who caved into the pressure of me harassing you in this podcast the last few weeks, asking you to give to your local NPR station. The link to give was donate.npr.org slash Sam. That lets you find your local station, give to them, and tell them that we sent you there. It's good for the whole public radio ecosystem, and we're still going to keep trying to have you guys do that. Donate.npr.org slash Sam. 
All right, listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning for a great conversation with Rachel Brosnahan from Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I like the show a lot. I think you will, too. Uh, The chat's fun as well. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. It's a foot thumper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is a foot thumper. That is precisely what it does. It it doesn't move the entire body. But it can. (laughs) 